0: Genesis chapter 32 we have Jacob spent 20 years um, with Laban uh, seven years for Leah as it turned out seven years for Rachel and six years working for wages and for various reasons he's decided it best to go back home but you remember what his real reason was for leaving home in the first place don't you? What mm-hmm. was it? Playing Esau Playing Esau Why would he have fled Esau? Because of the blessing that he stole. Because he stole the blessing by impersonating Esau. And Esau was not happy about that and was planning on uh, assassinating him whenever his father died. And so Rebecca managed to... uh, work up a uh, plan for Jacob to go back to uh, Haran, uh, uh, Hay- Peyton Payton, their home the land, sort of, and uh, marry one of her brother's uh, daughters. So, after 20 years, he's on his way back home. This is kind of the day that he has been dreading for 20 years. The day when he's going to re-encounter his bl- brother Esau. And he really doesn't have any way to know what Esau's been thinking or doing or feeling In these last 20 years, sometimes if you brood on a hurt for 20 years, it just gets more and more infected and festered and explosive. So who knows? Chapter 32, would somebody read 1 to 8?
1: So Jacob went on his way, and the (coughs) angels of God met him. When Jacob saw him, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim? Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell my lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks, and herds, and camels, into two companies. And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape.
0: right. The angels meet him. Uh, Remember the angels encounter with him at Bethel as he was fleeing back in chapter 28. And uh, Jacob uh, sends his own angels, messengers, it's the same word, to inform Esau that he was coming back. Now, he has the messengers uh, say certain things to Esau. What do you see in 4 and 5? that Jacob was saying to Esau. What what what's he trying to emphasize? Well he calls him Lord. So what's he doing? Trying to
2: appease him.
0: Yes, absolutely. Trying to show respect. He calls himself your servant Jacob. Say to my Lord Esau. What else does he say? information is he trying to give himself? He's
2: rich.
0: All right. So, he's rich, therefore?
2: Maybe he can help him out.
0: Or at least he doesn't need anything from him. You know, he's not coming back trying to get something out of him. And he explains where he's been. So that kind of explains that. And he says, I've sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. He doesn't exactly ask for forgiveness but he is asking for grace and favor from him so uh, the messengers come back to Jacob with what news there's an army coming in. yeah Esau's coming with 400 men of course how does that make Jacob feel scared absolutely he's terrified you know kind of reminds you of the fears that Joseph's brothers would have after Jacob died or even when they realized it was Joseph. Those fears were unfounded, but they didn't know it. They could imagine Joseph would have harbored a grudge. These fears are unfounded, but Jacob does not know that. And you hear that Esau is coming with 400 men. This is absolutely terrifying. He fears the worst, and probably his guilty conscience is a part of that. So that's what he knows. This is unnerving. Now, generally speaking, in the past, when Jacob has faced situations in his life, what has Jacob normally done? When he wanted the birthright, what did he do?
3: He was deceitful.
0: Yes. He deceitfully had this scheme to swindle it out of his brothers. When he wanted the blessing, what did he do? Yes, and uh, kind of managed to manipulate his way into getting the blessing. When uh, when he wanted prosperity from Laban's flocks and herds, what did he do? (laughs) He had his own scheme about it. It didn't actually work the way he thought it was. But he always had a plan. He always had his own idea. He was a heel grabber after all. That was a Jacob. And he acted like a Jacob. He was always grabbing for things his own way in his own plan. So, we'll see where this goes. Comments or questions through verse 8? See, a little change maybe in 9 to 12. Somebody want to read that?
4: Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness and of all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, that he will come and attack me, and that my mother's with the children. For you said, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which is too great to be numbered.
0: This is a change. Do you remember Jacob praying about getting the birthright? Or about getting the blessing? Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that he even prayed about getting the flocks and herds from uh, Laban. So this is different. He's praying. Longest recorded prayer in Genesis, actually. Um, what's he basically asking God for?
5: Church.
0: Yeah, absolutely. On the basis of what factors <laughs> does he feel like he can appeal to God?
4: God's promises.
0: God's promises, which is a good way to appeal to God. God promised that He would give His uh, descend to make His descendants like the sand of the sea. If He wipes them all out, He won't be able to fulfill His promise. What other bases does he use to ground
3: the prayer? Well, apparently there's a promise I don't remember this well but he said in verse 12 for you said which means Jacob saying God remember you promised me something
0: exactly so you've got the promises that God made that he multiplies descendants what about in verse 9 God told him to go back God told him to go back that's a pretty good argument too I mean surely God didn't tell him to go back just to annihilate him and furthermore who is God in verse 9
3: God of Abraham and the God of Isaac so
0: you know he's the God of his family he has the right to appeal to him so he's resorting to God he says I'm unworthy of all you've done but I need your help I am afraid of him please bless me I think it's a good thing that he's praying I think that's a shift but he's still a Jacob See what he still does, 13 to 21.
5: So he stayed there that night, and from when he had uh, with him, he took a present for his brother Esau. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. Then he handed them over uh, handed over to his servants every drove by itself and said to his servants pass on ahead of me and put a space between uh, between drove and drove he instructed the first uh, when Esau my brother comes to meet you and asks you to whom do you belong where are you going and whose are these ahead of you then you shall say they belong to your servant Jacob they have they are presents uh, sent by my Lord Esau uh, to my Lord Esau the more, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, all who, all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he <coughs> himself stayed that night in the camp. Jacob still got a plan, doesn't he? What's his plan?
0: series of gifts kind of. a series of what would be a good adjective for these gifts a piece of it or something yeah, yeah that's exactly right sort of bribing <laughs> gifts uh, well what, what's impressive about these gifts did you look at the list in 14 and 15
3: significant this is no small gift yeah it's really good. this
0: is enormous you know so he's trying to inundate him with gifts, and he divides them, and, and so he sends wave after wave, you know, to a presence, hoping that it'll start, um, I guess, uh, you know, sort of uh, softening Esau up and making him not be so upset with it. Uh, And he he really micromanages even the details. He tells everybody just exactly what to say and all this. You see that he's really tense about this, and he's really trying to get this just right. Uh, It'll be ironic that it's not Jacob's plan that succeeds. It's his prayer. And uh, that's a good lesson for the later Israelites who were always trying to be delivered by giving tribute to other nations rather than seeking deliverance from God so Jacob's kind of parallel to them in that Um, what else do you see in Jacob here where was he going to be (laughs) yes he's always behind something or someone (laughs) you know uh, he's uh, hardly the epitome of bravery Uh, but but, you know so you see Jake I, I see Jacob Before this, it's always Jacobing, always grabbing with his own plan. Here, it's praying and Jacobing. Uh, But we're starting to come to kind of a critical point. Because I don't think Jacob has a whole lot of confidence in this plan. (laughs) You know, the other plans, he pretty well knew he could, could, you know, rely on and he had it figured out. Whether he did or not, beside the point, he thought he did. But on this one, ooh, those 400 men with Esau are leaving him really troubled and anxious. right, comments or questions down to 21?
6: I did really like about his prayer, what you said about the way, the basis on which he appealed to God. Because, this is like, that's the right way to appeal to God, just like you said. And whenever we appeal to God, we don't appeal based on how good we are or, you know, how much we deserve it or whatever. We appeal based on how much we need it and what He's promised us.
0: Amen. Yes, I think that's exactly right. And that's, that should be what guides our prayers, It's the revelation of God, the promises of God. And we appeal to Him on that basis. That's exactly right. Good point. Other thoughts?
5: So the two camps that he had uh, how does that fit him with what he
0: does here uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm not sure that I can necessarily answer that. he's kind of dividing up his family I guess in two parts uh, trying to you know if if Esau comes to one move the others can escape that's the idea okay and that's kind of behind all of right. the, gifts. the animals go the gifts go first yeah.
7: kind of funny because we kind of pull the same kind of action that Jacob pulls here where we at first you know we we kind of honestly appeal to God but then at the same time we're kind of doing something else on the sidetrack to make sure that our plan gets kind of accomplished or make sure that we're kind of still in control of, of the situation or at least try to make ourselves feel that that we're in control of the situation or know what's going on and when in reality God is still in control. Good
0: point. Other thoughts? I
5: think no scheme, you know, that Jacob could ever come up with a, would work if it weren't for the Lord, you know, and it's just like, if God's backing you, it, it'll, it'll work.
0: Yeah, exactly. Jacob's slow to see that, but he's coming to this point. I really think this next section, this is not, at least in commentaries, it's not very well understood, if I understand it. Uh, I really think this next section is key to Jacob's life, and is really helpful to us. And one of the things that you might think about is, you know, God in his providence is always working with us. He's always trying to shape and mold his people. But sometimes we resist that. (laughs) And Jacob has not been one of his more moldable subjects. (laughs) But we can see some changes taking place. And I think what happens right here will kind of put that in a capsule for us. So would somebody read 22 to 32?
3: And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the break of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go for the day breaks but he said I will not let you go unless you bless me so he said to him what is your name he said Jacob and he said your name shall no longer be called Jacob but Israel for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed and Jacob asked saying tell me your name I pray and he said, "Why is it that you ask about my name?" And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Peniel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket. Because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip and the muscle that shrank.
0: Alright, so Jacob ends up being alone. It's a little unclear to me the movements here and who's where, but at any rate he's alone and there's this man that wrestles with him. Now we know from Hosea 12 specifically this was an angel, this, was, this represented God. And they wrestle until daybreak. Now, it looks to me like that this wrestling match between Jacob and the Lord is really what's been happening through Jacob's love. Jacob has been wrestling with God. He has been trying in his own strength, by his own will, relying on his own wits to manage his own affairs. He has not been submitting to God's will or God's way He's been wrestling to do things his own way. And up to this point, he not prevailed against him. That is, the the Lord didn't prevail against Jacob. Now, could the Lord prevail against Jacob? Well, of course. Couldn't the Lord do anything? Why doesn't the Lord prevail with some people? Well, because he gives us free will he doesn't prevail with us by his power, which he could always do if he chose to. He's only going to prevail with us if we are willing ultimately to submit to him and allow him to prevail. Now in the final analysis, obviously he will, but in this life, he'll give us that free will. And so all his life up to this point, you've had a wrestling match between Jacob and God, and God has not prevailed and then, what does this angel do to Jacob? His hip out. Yeah, dislocates his hip or or injures his hip in some way to where he can't even walk right. It's going to be really, um, you know, handy when he confronts Esau. You know, Esau can run and he's got to limp along. But that shows you what God was doing here. God finally gave him a crippling injury. Finally, God broke him down. And I think that's exactly what happens here in this whole event. I mean, you know, Esau has come with 400 men. Well, that's interesting. Esau could have come by himself. Or the messengers that came back, Esau could have informed him that he was happy with Jacob coming back, and they could have told Jacob that, and he could have been okay. God works this out to where, finally, Jacob is scared to death. Finally, his hip sinew shrivels. His confidence in his own plan shrivels, and only when he is crippled, and only when he comes to see that he is not self-sufficient, that he can't do this by his own plan, only then does he change. And you see the change right here, because in verse 26, for the first time in his life, what is Jacob seeking? god's blessing he didn't need it before after all he had a plan you know you don't read about him seeking god's blessing but now that his hips out of joint now that he feels crippled and inadequate and feels like he can't do it by his plan suddenly he's clinging on to this angel and saying i won't let you go unless you bless me finally he sees that he needs the lord's blessing He's not relying on his plan. Now, I think that's exactly what's happening in our lives. We're all wrestling with God to see who's going to be in control. And unfortunately for some of us, God's got to cripple us, practically maim us, before we stop trusting in ourselves and are willing to rely on the Lord and his will and his way. And cling to him instead of being self-confident. I think that's exactly the transformation that takes place in Jacob. And he says, your name shall no longer be Jacob. But Israel. Now when God changes a name, it's, it's, it's an indication of the change he's making in the character of the person. Not that it always happens instantaneously. There was still a lot of Simon in the rock Peter for a good while. But it's what God was going to do to him. God was working on a Jacob, a heel grabber, to make him an Israel. Nobody really seems to understand exactly what Israel means. The L part is God. And whether it's prince of God or prevailing with God or prevailed on by God or whatever, there's a lot of different theories. Still, the idea is instead of grabbing the heel, he's turning to the Lord and trusting Him That's what God's been doing with him. He's been trying to make a Jacob, a heel grabber, into an Israel, someone who depends on the Lord. And that's what he's trying to do with us. You know, and what he wants us to do is quit wrestling with him and cling to him, submit to him, and depend on him instead of just trying to do things with our own ungodly plans and schemes. And... uh, Uh, you know probably it would have been a lot easier on Jacob if he had allowed the Lord to prevail with him a whole lot sooner if it hadn't taken such drastic measures but sometimes it takes drastic measures like that sometimes we're so stubborn that the Lord's got to dislocate our hip before we'll finally come to realize and he's got to bring Esau with 400 men before we finally realize you know, we can't do anything on our own. We depend on God. I think that's the point of this, even though uh, not everybody shares that. People are all over the board with what this means. But I think fitting it in with the life of Jacob, uh, this makes a lot of sense, at least to me. Your comments and thoughts on all this?
8: I guess also, uh, just, you know, talk about the name changing. Well, our names change too, you know. You're exactly right. Yeah.
0: We children of God. It ought to have an effect on our character. It seems like to me that
5: in verse 26, he's still kind of jacob you know, like he's still clinging on to the angel, wanting the blessing, whatever kind of was before.
0: To me, that's a shift. He's not relying on himself. He's clinging to God. He's begging God for a blessing. You don't see him begging God for anything before. He could do it on his own. So him clinging on and not letting go until he's blessed, to me, is a symbol that he finally sees he needs the Lord. He's now crying for help. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> to me, that, that's the key for all of us. We have to humble ourselves and see we cannot rely on our plan our will, our desires, we have to cry for help. We have to seek God, seek Him the way He's taught, and depend on Him. So to me, for him to cling to God was the right thing, for him to rely on his ungodly plans, and certainly plans that didn't depend on God was not the right thing. Adam? And I don't know
6: for sure, but the the contrast here just I, can, um, I see what you're saying and to a point of this saying that he's clinging now depending on God but what he's doing at that moment is totally I mean he's in a sense wrapping God up and trying to control God at the same time I mean he's wrestling with this he's, he's demanding it from God not so he's in control supposedly of the situation it seems more demanding rather than asking
0: It all depends on how you look at those things.
1: Um, I don't really see him as being in control. If he was in control, he would be like, he would get the blessing right away. Or whatever plan Jacob thinks he has by wrestling with this angel, it would have worked. It doesn't really... No, you
3: can't, you read that. See, you read that. You can't see his facial expression. You can't hear the inflection in his tone. You don't know if this is a demand or a begging. It's kind
1: of hard. It's hard to know. know. And I think it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you're going to... I mean, I don't know exactly where you're going towards the end of this, but it seems... It seems interesting to me. This whole way through, you get the impression this is definitely... It's it's an angel of God, or it's a representation of God. And Jacob is wrestling with this person. He obviously knows who this person is. I agree. And and the angel asks, you know, who? what is your name? And Jacob tells him, and then Jacob says, what's your name? And I never, I don't know why I didn't, I've read this so many times, but like today, when you read it, it's almost like Jacob says, tell me your name. And this guy's like, why is it that you ask about my name? It's like, it's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> At least that's the way it comes across to me. This angel is saying why are you asking me? You obviously know who I am.
0: Yeah, that, that's probably kind of,
1: it, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting why he would... He knows this is an angel of God. He's still wrestling with him. And he's, he's obviously not getting what he wants out of this situation, which is why he continues all night wrestling with his angel of the Lord because he's not getting what he wants. He had, he had
0: been wrestling with God his whole life. Right. Right up to this moment when God finally breaks him. Right. That's what I see. Hey, yeah, you know, obviously, if if this were not a little complicated, everybody would be on the same page. So, oh. there are various ways of looking at it, <laughs> but I see it as clinging for a yeah,
8: person. You kind of look at it, it kind of seems like, you know, it's he. Uh, once the angel takes a out of the socket, it kind of looks like it's more of when you overpower somebody, but they're still holding on to you, and they don't want to let you go. And you're saying, and he says, "Let me go," and uh, say, you know, you just kind of dragging them along or something. And he's still holding on. He's saying, "No, not until you bless me." And it kind of, kind of appears to be like that, it's kind of like a begging, you know, but but almost desperate. You know,
0: you got to bless me. I need your blessing. We need that. We need that spirit of desperation. That we need the Lord's blessing. Sometimes I think we're too um, oh, nonchalant about it. Well, God, if you, know, if you want, I mean, I could, I could use a little help here once in a while. No! We desperately need the Lord. we we got to cling on to Him because that's the only hope. We certainly can't do it on our own. So that's the way I read it, but uh, there's room for various readings. Think about, um, you know, what the change in him. Then, you know, he now has two new things. He's got a new limp and a new name,
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and those things go together. His seeing his weakness is what made him into someone who relies on God. Look for a second Second Corinthians 12. Whether or not I, I'm t- choosing the right text to make the point in Jacob's life may depend on whether or not you share my reading of this, but the point I'm making is a valid point. And Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 is uh, a good passage to say this in uh, New Testament terms. In 2 Corinthians 12.7, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me, and he had said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. It's so helpful sometimes when God blesses us with weaknesses and distresses and thorns in the flesh because it keeps us from being self-sufficient. It causes us to turn and rely on the Lord and His strength and not rely on ourselves. So often we get so impatient and so discouraged by, oh, but these bad things are happening and I've got all these limitations. You know, I don't talk well, I don't think well, I don't do this well, I don't do that well. I wish I was better, I wish I was more effective, I wish I had more success, I wish I didn't have all these problems. Well, it may be if you were just so perfect and so capable and so problem-free, you wouldn't turn to the Lord and you wouldn't rely on His strength. It's when we're weak that we are strong because it's when we're weak that we depend on the Lord. It's when God crippled Jacob that He healed him. He crippled him to make him depend on the Lord. And, you know, maybe it'd be better if it didn't take so much crippling <laughs> before we came to rely on God. But wh- whatever weakens us and leads us to trust in Him is our slip. Comments and thoughts?
7: Part of the, the problem that adds to that is, especially in our generation today, is... The, the taboo or the problem we have with even talking about our own weaknesses or our own problems. We're so scared today to bring up and say well I have a problem with some kind of sexual thing or some kind of pride or you know I feel really down in the dumps and I'm really depressed or, or whatever else it is that we have going on in our lives. We're so scared to, to talk about it and Because we don't talk about it, we don't recognize the need and and recognize, you know, who we're supposed to be seeking, which is God. And and just a verse, James 5.16, talks about we need to confess our sins to our brothers. Because that's exactly what we need. We need to talk to each other so we can help each other.
0: Well, if Jacob had confessed earlier what he was doing wrong, it would have been such a blessing to him you know when he tries to rely on ungodly things and act like he's doing the right thing that really is a problem to him so that's a good point other thoughts, comments on chapter 32
5: well, in our weakness is, in our weakness is Christ's power is a more apparent to others
2: and that gives him the glory
0: that's a really good point I mean tell you what Just what would the story of Job mean to you if it ended after the first five verses? Job is a righteous, prosperous, prolific person. He wouldn't even remember it. The story of Job means something to you because he clung to God when the whole world and life was brought up. When he serves God under those circumstances, he glorifies God. When everything's wonderful and he's serving God, it doesn't glorify God nearly as much. It's hard to go through hard things. But the harder the things are that we go through, the more we can glorify God. And the more we know we depend on God. When do you pray the most? Do you pray the most when you are having fabulous success with everything and everything's going wonderfully? No. You pray the most when you feel the most desperate and out of control and everything's blowing up or in your face and, and you feel horrible and, and all. That's when you pray the most. Now, is it a good thing to pray a lot? Is it a good thing to depend on God a lot? So, God, give us more problems. Give us more failures. Give us more weaknesses. I mean, in many ways, That's a blessing to us. Now again, wouldn't it be great if when we were doing well and God was blessing us, we were praying a lot and acknowledging him a lot. But for most of us, it seems like we've got to go through a Jacob experience before we really acknowledge the Lord. Comments? Thanks for listening to all that. That's, I, I really like this chapter. And uh, you can you can evaluate that on your own and see what you think. Because I say I think the points are valid. Uh, and I think that's what he's saying here. But obviously it is uh, subject to some interpretation. we still got the encounter. I mean, now he's still got to face Esau what's going to happen. So chapter 33, verses 1 through 11. And
2: Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel, and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted, lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. Bowed down and Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother, keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me.
0: So, Jacob lifts up his eyes and here's Esau. (laughs) He's coming with 400 men. And uh, he divides up his family, of course, who does he put last? There's so much favoritism in this whole family from beginning to end. It's ridiculous. But Rachel and Joseph are last. And just as he has, you know, given abundant gifts to him, now he abundantly bows down to (laughs) him. You know, seven times he bows down before Esau gets there. Uh, And, well, you know, I think what we find out in this story is all those schemes and plans were really made worthless by what the Lord has done in Esau's heart and life. (laughs) That really had much to do with it. Uh, Because Esau in verse 4 does what? Runs to meet him
3: and embraces
0: him. Yes. Runs to meet him, embraces him, falls on his neck, kisses him, and they wept. I mean, that is an impressive list of welcoming activities. Does that remind you of anything? That reminds me of one thing, what? Yeah, father and the prodigal son, that's exactly right. I mean, this is just like the, the biggest welcome. I mean, he's his long lost brother. You know, Esau's long since forgotten all the, the things that, that Jacob did against him. You have to appreciate Esau. That'd be easy to have let this resentment smolder. And as far as I can tell, Esau's completely forgotten that, completely forgiven that. Esau seems to act in very good faith in all of this. And a good lesson for us, really. Esau looks in verse 5, he sees the women and the children, he says, Who are these with you? And he says, These are the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And he will say in verse 11, that God had dealt graciously with him and given him all this stuff. More than he has in the past, Jacob's realizing finally that it's the Lord that's been giving him these blessings and not his own schemes and plans. He had said some things along that line so far, but it seems to me that he's more consistent in that at this point. And he's starting to really see that he does depend on God. And so they all bow down to him and Esau said, what about all these animals I've been meeting? <laughs> you know, he's got, uh, you know, quite a uh, collection behind him now. And uh, Jacob said, I, I, you know, I, these, are, these are now just a present to you. You're like, seeing you is like seeing the face of God. And I, I'm so thankful that uh, you've received me favorably. Take this gift. God's been gracious to me. I want you to have these things. Um, so it's a it's an impressive reconciliation here. It's encouraging the attitude that they seem to have toward each other. Comments and questions. Right.
4: There seems to be one difference between
0: the prodigal son and
4: this situation And that, in the prodigal son, he was just more or less going there expecting to get, I guess, a brow beaten or something like that. Um, Jacob was more worried about getting a physical beating, whatever he made a Good it. point.
0: And uh, really, the only thing I'm saying with Barnacle Son is just the way the Father welcomed
4: It him. also makes me wonder, uh, when Esau starts running towards him, <laughs> what in the world Jacob would have been thinking about
0: He <laughs> He's probably uh, waiting for the dagger or something. His, yeah, <laughs> if he had his hand on his own <laughs> yeah, dagger. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I know. Wow. That must have been a very nerve-wracking moment for Jacob. <laughs> Yes, Moment of truth. it's just, isn't that funny how some of those things are. You know, you're <laughs> so tense and so worried, and all that just melts in an instant when Esau hugs him and kisses him and all that. Yes, it's, it's
4: also funny to see how how you can almost hear the relief in Jacob's voice whenever he's speaking to Esau, and it it's funny how we we finally we we follow God and follow what He has to say and, and believe in Him, and then all of a sudden, all these bad things that we expected to happen, all of a sudden, they turn out to be nothing. And when, in fact, they actually, all these burdens have been lifted off of you, and you feel so much better. You and You can just almost see that in just the words that, that Jacob says, and even the way Esau treats him. Good point.
5: It's cool to see how, um, you know, he prays there that that uh, God would deliver him from his brother and God delivers him twice over you know like he uh, has seen the face of God and and yet his life was delivered and then also uh, obviously here he's been delivered from his brother I just think that's really cool like twice over God's delivered him over and over again
0: the Lord has been so merciful in Jacob's life despite Jacob (laughs) and really merciful in his life when he brought him to this point where he humbled him and forced him to depend on God that was an act of mercy as well
5: well, in the past, uh, Jacob had done all he could to take away the blessings from Esau. He now he's a little smarter, and he's trying to, to kind of bring back that relationship, give back the blessings he's received from God.
0: Think so, kind of make, make. You know, if you see God as a source of your blessings, then you're generous. <laughs> if you think you're the one doing it, then you're stingy. <laughs> Isn't that true? I mean, it's time to think about it. You know, I've made this point sometimes from 2 Corinthians 8 where it talks about um, the Jerusalem brethren have a lack and the Corinthians have an abundance and God wants there to be equality and so he says your abundance supplies their lack and later on if you have a lack, their abundance will supply yours. And the idea is God wants there to be equality. Well, why didn't God just give everybody the same amount? Could God do that? Well, of course. He didn't. Why did God choose to give some people abundance and some people lack? Well, evidently, God wanted some people to give and he wanted some people to receive. When you see what you have as coming from God, that he didn't give you just to self-indulgently, you know, waste it all on yourself, then it's easy to give. It's easy to serve. It's easy to say, what does God want me to do with this? Why did he give me this abundance? And you share the abundance you have with others. But when you think, you know, I had a brother in Christ tell me one time, he said, everybody talks about God gave me this. God didn't give me this. I earned it. I worked for it and I got it for myself. It's like, wow, how short-sighted that is. It's about like a six-year-old deciding he can run away from home because he doesn't need mom and dad anymore. After all, he feeds himself.
3: Well he does feed himself
0: now. You know, he brings his fork from the plate to his mouth. <laughs> There's a few other things that he didn't think about that he's gonna find out about in the first couple of hours after he runs away. <laughs> you know Wow, we think we do it ourselves. We are so short sighted. Other comments?
7: We can definitely see
0: the the power of mercy
7: and the power of forgiveness. Um, yes which is something we definitely need to remember amongst ourselves um, Jacob is expecting you know rightly deserved what he's deserving from his from his brother and and what does he do but exactly what God shows to us is is the overwhelming power of forgiveness um, and mercy which um, which is something that we can learn to to do to each other
3: Amen.
7: something you just said this. God's relationship
0: with Jacob and the way that they interact kind of in a way foreshadows how the children children of Israel will treat God and uh, disrespect God over and over again and that um, can apply to us because essentially we've done the same things Um, we've fought against God from the time we were born from the time we became Christians and even sometimes now um, after we've already been Christians Um, so I just think it's funny how the whole story throughout can apply Right my Absolutely. We're not a lot different than Jacob, unfortunately. He's trying to make us an Israel. Other
8: thoughts?
6: By him saying that um, I see your face as one who sees the face of God, is he just meaning, um, I'm glad to see you and glad to give these things to you? Why does he choose to
5: say that specifically, I guess?
0: yeah I mean he's just saying this is like a great blessing from God I mean it's like it's like God's there doing this you know he just sort of saw God in the form of the angel and now he sees God and what God's doing in Jacob in, in Esau uh, that's that's the best I can do with that I don't know somebody got a better thought he's saying at all that
5: like kind of the same effect happens when with the head and with the
0: being definitely afraid I don't know that's true I don't know if that's the point but he's just Matt, he's so he, he just sees this as being a great blessing from God Esau's yep. acceptance and welcome and you know forgiveness
6: maybe you're just using that, that comparison as when you, like if you saw God your emotions that you get from seeing him is, that's, that's probably what, what he's
7: talking about there that this emotions are pretty much the same by seeing his
2: yeah I think that's
8: what it is it's a good comment. Well, well put. How much yeah. of this do you think is him trying to fight Esau too? Because he keeps on trying to give him these gifts and stuff. And Maybe a little insecure so still. So he's <laughs> also saying seeing you is just like seeing God and just trying to keep him happy and stuff. And because, Could be. because, you know, he keeps going on and he keeps trying to give him the presents. And Esau keeps saying, no, I don't need him. So Yeah, it could be. I'm not sure how to read that, but I see that as a possibility.
0: Anything else? Okay, 12 to
6: 20. Esau said, Let us take our journey and go, and I will go before you. But he said to him, My Lord knows that the children are frail, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me if they are driven hard one day all the flocks will die please let my lord pass on before his servants and i will proceed at my leisure according to the place of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children which i come to the to my lord at seir until i come to my lord at seir esau said please let me leave with you some of my people who are with me but he said what it need is there let me find favor in the sight of my lord so Esau returned that day on his way to seir Jacob journeyed to Succoth, and built for himself a house, and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the place is named Succoth. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Pippin Pe- 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 and Aram, and camped before the city. He bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for one hundred pieces of money. Then he erected it there an altar, and called it El Olehé Israel.
0: Okay. So Esau would like for Jacob to come uh, with him, accompany him. Jacob said, no, the children are frail, the flocks and herds uh, can't be driven hard, um, and I'll just come at my own pace. Esau says, well, let me leave some men with you to protect you and to take care of you. And he says, no, I don't need that. Now, I am unclear as to exactly how to see this. It doesn't look to me like... Jacob goes to meet with Esau in Mount Seir. I don't know whether Jacob's acting like a Jacob again and being deceptive or not. Maybe he is. Jacob journeys to Succoth, and then he comes to Shechem. And that's where the next story is going to be. He lives in Shechem, uh, pitches a tent uh, in a piece of land he bought from the sons of Hamor, wrecks an altar, and dwells in Shechem. So I'm a little troubled by the fact that he seems to imply that he saw that he would go to see her and doesn't. I'm a little more troubled by where I think he was supposed to have gone, and he didn't. Do you remember when he left the land, what he said he would do? What did he say he do?
3: He would go back to Bethel.
0: Bethel, and do what?
8: Horshal.
0: And... What did he say he'd do when he came back to Bethel? Give a tithe. Tenth of what God had blessed him with. He didn't go to Bethel. Now, he's going to go to Bethel, because in chapter 35, God's going to say, Arise, go up to Bethel,
3: and live there and make
0: an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So, God eventually says go to Bethel. Maybe he forgot. <laughs> maybe he did. And maybe it's convenient that he did. But you know, if I'm right about that, if he really should have gone to Bethel, then the fact that he went to Shechem makes the story that we're going to, to study in chapter 34 uh, maybe a little bit more significant. You know, there are times when if we'll do things the way we're supposed to, it will avoid some real complications. You know, And it may be that we're meant to see the complications of chapter 34 as a result of him going to Shechem when he should have been in Bethel. That's the way I'm reading it at the moment. You can uh, consider that. Comments and thoughts, things that you want to say uh, about uh, chapter 33?
4: Well, a reference in my Bible uh, says this altar that he built. It's uh, called God of Israel. Okay. Uh, Maybe showing his mature faith.
0: God at this point. So at least good he built the altar. You know, that's the right thing to do. You know, it reminds you of Abraham who pretty much built an altar anywhere he went. So I'm, I appreciate the fact he wants to worship God. I, I, I do think, you know, my guess is what you're seeing in Jacob is like changing Simon into Peter. It's not, you know, it's not like you change and you never revert back. You kind of waver back and forth for a while. And I think that's kind of where Jacob is. You can see his name's not always spoken of as Israel in here. He, go, he goes by Jacob a lot of the time, even though his name changed. So, I'm not sure his character changed all at once, even by the event chapter 32.
6: And even though we kind of knock him for that, like, I think that can be helpful to us because we don't change all at once either. Yeah. Like, you know, I want to overcome such and such a sin. I don't fix it
0: all at once. You're Right. But remember, when we have lapses, we have chapters thirty-four. <laughs> you know, so when we don't do things well, it's not good. <laughs> you know, there are consequences. It's kind of one of those deals where it is always better off to do things God's way. You know, it's it's leaves you with less headaches. There may be difficulties and afflictions, but it's always better to do things God's way. Other thoughts to come. Alright, I think we will go ahead and stop here, and I told you last week, next Tuesday I'll be here.